Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Thanks for tuning in to episode number six about negotiating a day rate for a flight instructor. Rick does his very first flight review. How you can avoid having to do flight reviews in the future. The FAA Wings Program, Special Use Airspace, our Picks of the Week, and much, much more. Only on the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 6 of the Stuck Mike Avcast with your host, Len Costa. And tonight, I'm joined with uh, Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, and Victoria Newville. How are you doing this evening, guys? Great. Good. How are you? Good. Just doing great. Excellent. Got to, got to, got to fly. I'm, I'm the, I think I'm the one on the show who doesn't fly as much as some of you guys, so I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> awesome. To- that I got up in the air this week. Yeah, cool. I'm excited to hear about that because you've got uh, a lot to share with us about that experience as well because it wasn't just any normal flight. Right. right. Let's do the pre-flight. We wanted to get started this evening just before uh, we're recording this episode. I put a message out on Twitter if anybody had any questions or comments um, for the pre-flight section of the episode, and we had a submission from Walter, who wanted to ask Victoria how she was able to get an instructor at a day rate. So, Victoria, tell us a little bit about uh, going through that process. Well, it was pretty much a unique situation, but I wanted to get the most bang for the specific amount of money I had, and um, I basically wanted a very specific instructor too. And this instructor didn't work regularly at that flight school. So first of all, we had to negotiate to actually get that instructor at the flight school and then work out a number where it was cheap for me, but the flight school and the instructor still made money and it was worth their time. So I wasn't involved in the negotiation as much. I kind of let the instructor and the school handle that because I trusted them. But um, I just did some quick math here, and the instructor was usually $55 an hour, and we were together at least... 8 to 12 hours a day when I did this, and that would have been $440 mm-hmm. a day just for instruction. And um, I think my daily rate turned out to be like 300 or something like that. So it was just kind of communicating between the instructor and the school. And I think you find, especially in this economy, if someone's going for a rating and shows that you know, they're really willing to do the work and we'll get this finished that they'll find a way to work it out with you. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask, mm-hmm. you know, the worst they could say is no. Now that's right. a pretty and, significant savings over a seven day period. Like you were doing. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, yes. And, and I guess what, what they get out of it, right. Is they can calculate a guaranteed return, uh, versus, you know, uh, 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 sporadic bookings or, or mm-hmm. bookings that aren't as consistent, right? Very mm-hmm. true, and that didn't even include the airplane. So, you know, the wow. the flight school made money off of that, too. I had that plane booked all day for seven days. I didn't let anyone else have it. So. Mm-hmm. Right. I took the daily rate on that, too. Now, was there, uh, you know, like a negotiated rate for the daily aircraft rate as well? 
Um, they have that preset at the flight school. Okay. So I didn't have to uh, use my skills for that. <laughs> Did you find it was any cheaper, though, significantly over the hourly that you would have used it for otherwise? <sighs> yeah, definitely. Because, you know, if the plane's $100 an hour and you flew it for 6 that's $600. And I think their daily rate was only like 400 oh, That's so pretty interesting. So if you were to take it over the weekend, it would be 400 a day versus... Right. So it worked out pretty well. That's very neat because I've never – we were talking offline, and I've never uh, dealt with anything based on a daily rate, and Rick hasn't either. But Carl had mentioned that he's done some daily rates as an instructor with some companies. Um, Carl, what, did, what, what have you – how have you negotiated that? Or what, uh, you know, you know what, I, what I've done in the it, – it all, it's all different. You know, in other words, I have a, an hourly rate that I charge, and then what I'll do is say, hey, if you want me for a day, the hourly rate goes down to X. And then I calculate what it'll be for that day. In other words, I give them a number and I say, this is the number for the day and you have me from this time to this time and any other incidental, say if there's lunch involved, they'll buy me lunch, et cetera. Uh, sometimes what I'll do is some uh, flight instructing for insurance purposes where they need, say, 50 hours in the aircraft. And, uh, of course, my rate will, will be quite a bit lower than if we did at the straight hourly rate. But it's mm -hmm. also a guarantee for me because I know I'm going to be with that person for X number of hours. Um, and it's always it's, it's different everywhere. That's, and, and that's the beauty is people can negotiate uh, with their instructors. Say, hey, listen, I need you for this whole day. Can we do it at this daily rate? or at a much reduced rate and if you get that up front it really it works really well mm -hmm. i do have of course you know a minimum rate that i charge for me to come out to the airport um, and i think most instructors do that work independently mm -hmm. uh, but i've never seen it advertised at a flight school and victoria you said that they actually advertised a daily rate or no uh, they did for the airplane not for the instructor not for the instructor right oh okay all right he wasn't yeah, that, that's definitely that's cool though that you did that because i think more people should do that and say hey you got me for the day and this is how much it is and uh and you have to maybe buy me lunch or something like that that's usually what i'll work out yeah, exactly, too. For my situation, since it had to be done within a week, I wanted an instructor who I knew I wouldn't have to fight with other students. Oh, that's a good So point. this was a guy I knew personally who could stay with me the whole entire week and get me through this and didn't have to worry about trying to get on the schedule in between all his other students. So that kind of helped the situation. If it was a regularly scheduled instructor, I don't know how willing they would have been to work with it. Because you know the instructors would be busy with other students anyway, so mm -hmm. that's cool. Um, yeah. You, yeah, you know what's interesting, Victoria, is that there's this correlation between that and then the daily rates for folks that fly corporate. I don't know if you folks have heard this, but where say you're a freelance corporate pilot, what they'll do is say, okay, if you want to fly the Hawker, you're going to get X number of hours per day. And uh, that it correlates to, and, and that's how I'm able to sell this easier to people that own corporations, et cetera. So, well, your pilot charges X per day. I'm going to charge you X per day to fly your personal Mooney or 182 just so that you can actually get up to speed in that aircraft. And uh, that's actually how most of that works. I mean, a lot of folks do that right now where they, they're like number, they're the third pilot. I, I've done that where I'm third pilot on a two-pilot crew for, say, a, a King Air. And they'll call me up whenever they need me, and this is at your daily rate. This is the daily rate we've negotiated in advance. And you don't see that too much, though, with flight instructors, I don't think. You know, other than what you've mentioned and the stuff that I've done in the past, uh, have you heard of it, uh, Len or Rick? Or, I mean, I, that's, I don't see it happening that often, but I think it's a good idea. No, I actually I hadn't even heard of it until 
Victoria had mentioned it, and I and I thought to myself, well, that's actually a pretty neat idea. Um, and I was curious, you know, obviously to find out more about it. And Carl, you know, you said that you have a a, uh, a requirement or a time requirement just to come out to the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. How have you seen people reacting to that? That you know, maybe it's I don't know what your, your rate is, but you know, if you tell them, hey, it's going to be a minimum two hour. Uh, fee before i come out to the airport and we work together is that people have been receptive of that uh you know it it yes actually i haven't had too many problems some some might think it's a little bit high and uh but see i'm at a point right now where i'm you know i'm double booked when i'm i'm at home so i don't i don't really need to negotiate that Mm -hmm. see what i'm saying it's like because i'm i'm so darn busy right now now if i wasn't as busy then i would really i'd reduce my rate and say no okay i'll I'll bring it down Mm -hmm. and uh, it's just because i have such a you know this time constraint here and uh and i've i've found that too when i was instructing uh full time is that i would you know people would want to negotiate and i was like gosh you know i have this other person on standby and uh, but it all depends on the the person too you know the one (laughs) Hate to say it, but the people, the students you don't like, you're gonna not negotiate too much with on that. And the people you really want right. to see succeed, you're gonna say, okay, all right, I'll do this one for free. It's like, all right, here, you know, I'll give you, a, you know, and, you know, a big discount like, mm-hmm. off that that day rate there. But you know, you have to pay for your gas to get to the airport, and uh, you have to pay for that time there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and 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 I think most independents do do that. They say, okay, I, I think the the general rule I've seen at the airport, and this is just asking around, was like two hours hours of of instructional time uh, for an independent instructor mm-hmm. that that's just what i've seen at the local yeah, my instructor at a two-hour minimum so is that what it, okay yeah so all right good i like it i so. think it's a good idea actually because you know that you know that the student that you're going to go out there to meet is determined to get you know whatever tasks are on the list for that day accomplished because they know that they've got uh you know they're on the hook with you for a, for a minimum, and if they don't get what they need to get done, they've essentially wasted their money, um, and you know you've you've got your time compensated. So it's I like it. It's a good idea. Now entering cruise flight. Moving right along into the bulk of the topics this evening, we're going to talk a little, uh, probably a, a majority of the conversation on uh, BFR's biennial flight reviews. And the reason this topic come up is actually because Rick just recently did. Uh, was it your first BFR, Rick? Actually, it was. It was. Okay, it was your first BFR. So uh, why don't yeah. you go ahead and take the helm and lead the conversation? Okay, cool. Well, I, you know, I just I thought, wow, great, I get to talk about an actual flight because it had been a while since I flew, and um, this. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, this started out as a uh, plane checkout because the um, plane I normally f- uh, rent and fly, which is a Cirrus, um, had, had a little on-the-ground incident that I was not around for, but I uh, went into the shop for a while, and so that went offline. And the other plane that I used to fly, uh, that I used to be current in, um, uh, 172, um, I had not flown since for seven months, so it definitely slipped way past that. And so I booked a flight on uh, Friday to... Uh, get checked out in that plane, but it turned since Friday was July first, and my BFR was due at the end of July sometime. Um, I could, I could, you know, I, I basically asked the CFI I was going to fly with. Can I, you know, can we try to do both things in the time I had booked, and uh, you know, and, and you know, and just get them done, and that way, you know, I wouldn't shift my my annual up a month, you know, I mean, I think I'm, I'm right in saying that if I had done my BFR in June, it would reset the clock to the end of June, two years from now. Is that correct? Right. 
Yeah. Right. So, Correct. you know, by getting in July 1st, I got cool. I'm getting July done if I can do this, and I get and I get to fly this plane because I'm not sure how long the Cirrus is going to be out, and I can I can again sort of try to maintain currency in two planes, which I kind of like doing because it gives me some options depending. It gives me booking options as a renter, and you know one's high wing and one's low wing. So uh, among the other differences, it's kind of fun to to go between them and, uh, for for different you know purposes. So um, so it turned out this checkout turned out to be both that and uh, and a biennial flight review um, with a CFI I'd never flown with before. I, we'd talked a lot, but we, we had never um, flown together because a whole lot of change has happened in the place that I rent the plane. So that was sort of new. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't know how typical this is, and I'll just kind of, I can just talk you through what we what we did and, and, and the flight itself. And then, you know, you guys can chime in because I'm, I'm sure you either do them, you know, for other people or you have done them occasionally. And I know we're going to touch on, I think, later ways that you don't have to do a BFR, which is always very interesting for people, too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we did some ground. We did an hour of ground, and, and that was just sort of going over. He had said, look, I, just, I like to base these on uh, what the pilot involved thinks they want to work on. You know, that, that, you know, that it's kind of, and I think this is true. I've heard this before. That's kind of a lesson, really. Um, yeah, or it can be a refresher course and, and a lesson in in whatever whatever it wants to be. You know, as long as you know the, the flying is is safe and, and you're you know shown some proficiency that way. So um, I kind of you know there wasn't there. I, it was, I sort of thought about it ahead of time. I thought oh, I don't know really what I'm going to say. I want to work on, um, but a couple of things came out as we talked, and one of them was just that, uh, and this is probably true of a lot of people. Um, you know, I fly. So both of the planes I fly are glass and uh, glass cockpits, and that you know is interesting. I don't necessarily wish that were true. And I have done some flying in uh, non-glass and, and would like to do more of that. But, um, and, and besides just being glass in general, you know, they, of course, have GPSs like a lot of planes do. But what starts to happen with the GPS is, you know, you begin to rely on it a lot. And so I said to him, you know, I, I, this may not matter much, but I haven't tracked a VOR in a long time. And so in the in the uh, G1000, which is in the 172, I hadn't really sort of functionally operated the VOR and, and done that. And that's less about understanding of what a VOR is and more about the equipment, you know, in the plane and how to use it to, to make that stuff happen. So so we talked about, the, basically what we talked about a lot was just the the, the G1000 VOR and um, how that's implemented, how it's dialed in. And yeah, and I, and I knew all that, but I just hadn't done it in two years. And so it was, it was sort of a good reminder. The other thing we touched on a little was because I had... Um, I talked about how I have, you know, again, I'm the I'm the sort of the greenest pilot here, I think, and um, I had not flown into a class Charlie airport um, before, and I still haven't, but we talked a little bit about that, and I don't need to go into too much detail about that, but it had to do with the um, clearance delivery and getting a squawk code and some of the stuff that makes perfect sense now, but that in early training is not really something that anybody goes over with you because generally they're, you're, you're staying away from you know, Charlie's, I don't know, you know, about you guys, but at mm-hmm. least with my training, it was that way. So, so we did, we did a little bit of talking about the, you know, the, the, the G1000 VORs and, and also, um, some of the, some, some interesting things about the, the, you know, class Charlie airspaces and airspace. And then, um, and then we set out and the plan, the plan was going to be because of that conversation in particular, the VOR, um, <clears throat> that we would take off from Norwood and, um, basically tracked the Gardner VOR, which is kind of northwest, uh, um, and uh, do, do a landing there, a couple landing there. Gardner's got a 3,000-foot runway, and the VOR is actually west of 
Gardner. Um, I'll just say this for people who don't know the area, uh, because Len, I'm sure you do. But um, so you know, you track the VOR, then then go to the airport, do a landing there, and then we would um, track outbound from the VOR um, to over to Hanscom. And part of that um, part of that sort of exercise was to um, to talk about the VOR ahead of time, pick a radial to track away from, and then um, the radio selected was one that allowed us to avoid a restricted area for, for 102 A and B, that little one there that's right near Fitchburg. And so, um, you know, so we, we, we planned that ahead of time, and it was going to be inbound and outbound on that same VOR, and then um, do a couple landings at uh, Hanscom. And then the, the ulterior motive for going to Hanscom was that we had to reposition a plane, which is probably fairly common in uh, in training circles, where as long as you're moving the planes around, where do we need it to be? So we ended up landing at uh, Hanscom, and we were going to switch uh, 172s and fly a different one back to Norwood. So, um, you know, that's pretty much what we did. Uh, we... Uh, the on the way out was the was we sort of took the opportunity on the way out to Gardner to to uh, do some slow flight and um, and uh, power off stall and and that was cool. I mean that went very well and I hadn't really I mean I hadn't flown a high wing I hadn't done any of that in two years um, and I hadn't flown a high wing uh, in seven months and and uh, you know the, the Cessna but it but it went great and you know we got it we got it down to a pretty pretty much of a little putt-putt up there in the air, kind of almost hovering, which is very cool. And, the you know, the the, the stall went great. And then um, uh, made our way over to Gardner, and, uh, um, he, you know, we sort of, he discussed, it wasn't really a surprise, but we did a, you know, we did a, a simulated engine out into Gardner. And um, and it was cool. It went really well. I was pretty excited by it because it, um, it felt a little like I, and you guys can interrupt with any questions you have. I'm just rambling here. But um, it felt a lot like I was going to... Uh, like I was too low at the point where where we pr- pretty soon after once I established best glide it felt like well I'm not going to make this but but you know hung on to it and and did everything right we worked through the the um you know the the check the, the mental checklist which actually we didn't work through in too diligently in the sense that I think I need to do a little more memorizing cuz I have not you know those are those weren't in my head enough but it was it was fine and, and as an exercise and um good radio calls and brought it around and it was right there. And so that, and that was pretty, that was pretty fun. As I recall, a lot of the uh, simulated engine outs I did in training were sort of simulated with fields up to a certain altitude. And then we, you know, we broke off and I'm not sure I'd ever really done one, maybe a couple, but nothing as fully formed as that one. And it was quite, it was quite satisfying to do. Um, so that we did that, and then we and then we uh, tracked back, you know, eastbound over to uh, Hanscom and, um, did, had a little bit of uh, tracking another inbound flight, listening to the Fitchburg frequency and, and avoiding another plane, and that was that's that was fun. And um, then a touch and go at Hanscom, which which was great. And Hanscom was busy as usual, but we, you know, uh, made that work and and you know f- f- found our way into the pattern very you know nicely. And you know, I mean, it turns out, and I guess what I took took away from it one was it's great to fly with the CFI uh, from time to time, and I and I will probably do it more often. That regardless of having to do a BFR or not. That, um, you know, getting someone in the plane with you who knows, I don't know, a range of abilities in planes and is able to give you some, some good tips, watch what you're doing, give you some, you know, some advice, and also confirm that in many ways you, you do know what you're doing, <laughs> which when you're, you know, when you're not traveling with someone that knows much about flying very often, you, you know, you start to wonder, you know, boy, have, you know, am, am I... You know, am I doing that? Not am I doing any one particular thing right? But am I am I safe enough? Am I 
you know, am I doing all the right things? So it was quite a nice confirming thing to, to, you know, be told, yeah, you know, you did great. You, you know, you really know, you know, you know what you're doing. It was solid, you know, a lot of good compliments and that was cool. So, um, it was great. It was a great process and I, and, and cool that I can now, you know, rent that plane when I want to and that, and that I'm done with the BFR, uh, for another two years or maybe, Forever, if I follow Carl's advice, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know if that if that sounds typical of what you guys tend to do with with BFRs you run or ones you've had. But yeah, for, um, to some degree. In fact, yeah. I, I did have a quick question for you because you uh, you know being that it was your first BFR, um, how much flight time had you accrued up to this point? How, how much flying have you done? Like where hours? am I at? Yeah, well, what I'm, are you at? I'm at about I'm at about 160. Okay. Um, and I, but it really softened up in the last year. So there, I don't know what the number is for since, you know, since the first of the year, but it's, if you look at the chronological year of, of 11, it's going to be the lightest year I've ever flown, mm-hmm. you know, partly because when you're training, you push it a little harder and partly because I, you know, just travel commitments and, and work as well as the winter up here was a little more challenging this year. So, mm-hmm. um, go ahead. I'm sorry. You had a, that was your question. Uh, yeah, no, well, I was just curious about, you know, how, because you had, it was your first one. I didn't know if you still had, you know, just a few hours or he had flown, you had flown a bunch because you obviously got yeah. some good praise from the instructor that you work with. So you've been, you know, you've been flying and keeping up with it. And obviously right. for the folks out there who have ever seen Rick's uh, videos on youtube.com forward slash RD Felty, you can see Rick's uh, level of professionalism, even, even as a, a hobbyist flyer, if you will, that, uh, you know. The way he operates the aircraft, and I've always been very impressed with your low time, how professional you are um, in the airplane. So I'm not necessarily surprised that you got a lot of good praise from your right. from your instructor. Well, thanks. Yeah, you know, it's and the other thing I got is I, we just had fun. I should say I did not mm-hmm. hook cameras up for this. I sort of <laughs> no, I went in going, you know, I'm just going to fly because I was. I, I do like to edit. I do like to make those videos, but it adds a lot to the prep time. Once you're flying, it doesn't make any difference. But, mm-hmm. you know, and I just wanted to let me get in the plane, do the, all the right stuff and then go and, and try to find the fun in the in the thing as well. You know, because sometimes I, I overthink it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the land. what was cool about the landing at Gardner, I should say. So that was seven months since my last landing in, in that plane. And they and the and I'd flown the Cirrus a lot and they land quite differently. Mm-hmm. And um and I know enough to know how to switch between them, and, and it went well. And that was actually quite encouraging because I had not, you know, be like it was sort of like hopping on a bike that I knew pretty well, and it mm-hmm. it, it went okay. So, but yeah, I do have a lot of hours. I mean, uh, in each plane, I have it's about split. It's more in the Cirrus of over the life of my flying, but but it's pretty close on the Cessnas because I did a lot of primary training in the Cirrus and then had to switch to push to the final, to push to the check ride and did that in the, in the Cessna. So it's a pretty good balance. And, um, you know, I like them both, but it was fun to, it was fun to know that I could get back in there and do and do well. Did you do any primary, well, in either of the aircraft that you have flown for training, uh, I know that the Cirrus is glass. And I think you mentioned that this 172 has the G1000 in it, but when you were doing pre- private training, did yeah. you fly any aircraft that had regular round quote unquote steam gauges or were no, you? I'm one, I'm one of those, I'm okay. one of those strange people. I, I have wow. flown a couple, you know, I, I would, I would say, yeah, okay. I took a couple of rides in a, in a, a Cetabria, did, mm-hmm. did a little bit of tailwheel with somebody. So that was very round gauges, not, and not many of those, not many, but, no. um, <laughs> But and then I did I I flew once in a, in a Piper with somebody just to uh, what is it Cherokee I guess just is that the littlest one? Uh, yeah, Cherokee or Archer. Yeah, because I think yeah, or Archer uh, Warrior. Uh, okay. uh, maybe it's a Warrior. Uh, yeah. Anyway, to um, 
just to see just to see what it was like. And I was it was actually encouraging that that though I didn't have that scan down, it wasn't hard to get that scan. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I I found that I could find what I needed informationally. It was not that awkward, but it, but yeah. So I but the and the trick with these two planes is one is is Avdine and one is Garmin. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of there's a sort of a it must be like what you guys go through some to some degree is different systems and you got to remember them all and mm -hmm. you know apply them appropriately and so well there's yeah. definitely a huge difference between the avidine and the g1000 i mean the g1000 yeah. is a wonderful platform but when i first went into it from yeah. the avidine um glass system i was in overload myself and you know this was when i was late when i was instructing i had probably 15 1600 hours i think when i've played in the first uh, G1000, and for me, it was overload just because of all the menus. I was used to having, um, like, the, the Garmin GNS 430-530, how to use all that separately, and then it feeds the Avidine system. And then in the G1000, I'm like, there's just there's menus everywhere. I don't know where to, where to find stuff, but, yeah. you I mean, know, I, I got my, used to it. I had my iPad with me, and I was kind of showing my CFI a little bit, like, stuff that was, you know, in their data about airports and stuff. Well, you know, all that's right here in the in the G1000. I said, I know, but I I, I don't know how to find it. I've never been shown how to find it. And frankly, that's sort of the last thing. Those extra menus, uh, uh, those are the last things you get to use routinely unless you're mm -hmm. flying a long cross-country right. where you're, you know, you're in cruise for a long time and you can explore a bit. That stuff doesn't come up a lot. So uh, we did a little of that on the way out to Gardner as well because we were mm -hmm. talking about that. But um, so, yeah, anyway, it's uh, it, it was fun. So, Rick, the, the G1000, if I understand, you didn't have much time with the G1000 prior to this? No, I did, or, actually. Okay, it's okay. about half and half. Like, half like, and a, okay. like of the 160, it might be uh, 90 and whatever, the 90 and 70. Does that work out right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hour-wise, you know, it's like 90 in the Cirrus and 70 in the Cessna. So I had a lot of time. I just didn't have much time in it in the last seven months. And prior to that, you know. You go. You got to go back to a period in the middle of my whole flying life where I flew it all the time, and prior to that, it was serious all the time, and then I was bouncing between the two. So, so just just for my own uh, edification, I'm actually looking at getting checked out in the G1000. Uh, what what did you use to uh, to actually uh, learn the G1000, or just pick up the manual, go out and fly? Well, um, I I mean, for me, I I picked it up after learning the Avidine, and so for the initially. The stuff in front of you is very similar, right? The screen, the tapes are very close. And so you're going to find all that stuff very easily. And then it's sort of a, a functional thing. But, they, you know, there is, I think they make some tutorials you can do online. There's some software you can get and we can talk. I mean, I have to look right. up what it was I used. But a lot of it was, you know, okay, where's, where, well, like the radios aren't built in in the Avdine I was using. So, so tuning all that was done in, in separate garments, but it's integrated into the G1000. So, where are those knobs? And, you know, just where it's sort of how do you get to a couple crucial things you need to do? And, and then it's about building knowledge over time. Mm -hmm. So, right, right. Now, speaking of time, now, how long did this take you as far as the uh, flight portion and also the, the ground portion, your flight review? Do you I remember? Think the, the ground was an was about an hour, maybe a little less, and the, somewhere around an hour. And then the uh, the flight time was I think one point five, and then another point four coming back from uh, Hanscom in the other plane. Right, right. So it was, well, you know, it was good. I mean, it, it was a good amount of time. It felt like it felt. I mean, it's just very. It was it was enjoyable, and it was a nice nice enough day, and I was learning the whole time, and um, so it was it was a good experience. And yeah, it was about that time, about that amount of time. And you weren't nervous about failing it or anything like that? Well, I, that's can't. a good question. I went in, you know, I kind of was like, well, I'm pretty much been told, you know, this is not, 
you're not, you know, it's not a failure thing really. And, you know, and I, and I'll just do the best I can. And then, and then when I talked to him, uh, to Cliff was, is, is the CFI's name. He was very, you know, like, look, we're just going to, you know, just let's work on stuff you want to work on. And I had the CFI I trained with, who's now, uh, working through, being in the kind of career you guys are in, I chatted with him because he's a CFI still, and we talked about him maybe doing it. And he said, "Oh, you know, it's." You, and then when I told him I wasn't going to do it, he said, "Oh, no, don't worry, you'll be fine." It, you know, and uh, so I didn't sweat it. I did read through the, you know, I did grab the POH and I looked at, um, you know, I verified some speeds and I looked through, you know, some just some stuff to familiarize myself with a few things that I thought I might need to know just for successful flying of the plane. But uh, all that stuff was already sort of in my head anyway, so. It was, it, yeah, I, w- I guess I was worried, and then I got calm and thought, you know what, just go do it and see, w- see what happens. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, it's cool. It was fun. And I, like I said, minimally, even if it wasn't a BFR, being in the plane again with a, with a teacher, doing what you've been doing for two years and making sure that, you know, large portions of that are, <laughs> are good. And if, mm-hmm. if there's anything that isn't good, it, it's, it's not far off. It was, uh, it was a good reminder that, wow, you know, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but there's times when I go, oh, you know, it was a good reminder, like, yeah, you know how to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this something you know how to do, you know? You guys do it every day, and so I don't know if you worry about that too much, but, I, you know, as a, as a you know, weekend warrior every, you know, that doesn't fly even every weekend, I, you know, you go, you sometimes question yourself a little, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, we don't do engine outs every day, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, that type of thing. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead now. Oh, that's all I was going to say. I was just saying, I tend to lose confidence if I haven't flown in a long time. And you kind of got to push yourself back in the cockpit to be like, yeah, I do know how to land this. You know, I know what I'm doing. So I think, you know, your BFR probably helps with that. And Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, I know what you're saying. I The, the longer it goes, you know, I mean, I it's a hobby. So it's there's a certain amount of resources that can go to, to it. I don't, you know, I, I don't really... I can't fly every weekend, even if I even if I wanted to. And there's other things in my life I do. So time goes by. Oh, I think it's time to fly again. And 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 if it goes too far, you're right. Um, I have to. You know, my wife and other people, my wife will remind me. Yeah, you, you know, you know, you know how to do this, and and uh, it's all cool. But so, and this was a big conference builder. I think I can try to hang on to that memory of this now mm-hmm. for those days when I go. Oh, really? Are you are you ready for this? And you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, because really. This and in fact, we did planning just up to a point, but we weren't overplanned. You know, I did we did we, ch- we ch- I checked weather, but we didn't. You know, there wasn't a lot of I did all the safe stuff you're supposed to do, but it wasn't obsessively planned, and we made decisions as we went, and it was a little more fun that way. You know, like oh, let's well, let's just go do this kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, we had a plan, but we we uh, played with it a little too, and and uh, and still ended up where we wanted to be. Kind of, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Cool. So anyway, that's. But I want to hear how I don't even have to do this. Yes, Carl, <laughs> tell us your tell us your secret. The secret. Well, actually, Len, when was the last time you did a flight review? Uh, I haven't. Um, no, thankfully, see? to thankfully to this job and the way our our recurrent training, I actually did technically do one. I think it was about a year and a half or two years ago uh, with a friend of mine, just to go out and do the maneuvers in a GA airplane for my own you know, level of safety and comfort. Cause I was like, I'm not doing this at work because of our training events, but I still want to know that I can do these in a GA airplane and feel comfortable. So I did one, you know, for myself, but it wasn't required. 
That's cool. That's cool. Well, you know, just to, to speak towards what, what I'm about to speak about as far as how you can avoid ever doing a flight review, and there's three main ways to get around doing a flight review. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, the flight review, and so people don't get confused because we talked about the training, there's a minimum of one hour of ground and one hour of flight that's involved in the mm-hmm. flight review. So I'm sure that's what they, your instructor, Rick, had actually uh, signed off on in right. your logbook there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we all, you know what's interesting, too, is we call this a BFR. And uh, that's kind of an old school name. We don't actually call it a BFR anymore. It's called a flight review. Remember, that's, uh, they took the name away, the biennial flight review, because, yes, you, you need to accomplish this at a minimum of every 24 months. Mm-hmm. But there's a way around that. And, and like Len had said, he, he normally does not do them. And I haven't done a flight review in, uh, I think, it's over 10 years now. And the reason being is that there's many things that can substitute for a flight review. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them, and, and one, if, if you have the time and the money, is get another rating. Mm-hmm. You know, get your instrument rating. So I'm gonna, I think that, Rick, probably you're not going to do a flight review for a while because you're about to get your instrument rating, I'm assuming. And that might take you a year or so to get, accomplish that. Uh, right. Like, yeah. No, if I, I can do it. Your, with so your work schedule. Do- yeah, if I do that within the next, even if it's close, I just have to get it done within the next two years, and that resets right. that clock, right? Correct. Right, exactly, exactly. So you can do, that's one way to get your flight view. So now you have a new rating, so that resets that clock for that 24 calendar months. Uh, the other thing that you can do, and that's what uh, Len and I normally do at the uh, airline and military folks do, I do a lot of teaching next to a military base, is a flight review. Uh, you can do that with an examiner or a uh, check pilot or a uh, check airman, a U.S. Armed Forces check airman. And uh, that actually is available to quite a few folks that uh, that actually do fly for, say, the airlines, for or the military, that they can go ahead and get that done and come out and just get a checkout, rental checkout, to go fly airplanes again. And I do have that opportunity to fly with a lot of those folks. I say, you know, you really don't need a flight review because this will substitute for that flight review. Mm. And that's, that's the second part is the proficiency check. And, and I'm speaking a lot more towards those, again, those folks that uh, fly either corporate or fly for the military or fly for the airlines. But my number one favorite thing, and to do, and this is the one that I, I do all the time myself, is to participate in the WINGS program. Mm. And if you accomplish one level of the WINGS program, that counts towards your flight review. Wow. And yes. I would encourage people to do that. And I'll, go ahead, Rick. Well, I want to know more. I want, I want to, if we have a moment, if we can do it, to dig into that a little. I know it's, it, maybe it's more complicated than that. I, I've attended a number of things where I get WINGS credit, mm-hmm. but... I don't think I ever do them in a concentrated enough way to get enough credit for a certain period to have it count. So I don't know if there's a way to explain what I just said, yes. if I got it right no, or not. I know but exactly. I, yeah. stuff, stuff expires and I haven't done enough, and it's cool. I love going to them, so I don't mind, but I never really went at them in an aggressive enough way to say this is to take credit, you know, take the place of a BFR. So. And- Carl, the the wings at least, uh, you know, if you've gone to an event to get that does participate in wings credit, that uh, this could have changed. But my last understanding was it would cover your ground requirement towards a flight review, but you still had to do the flight portion. Is that still accurate? Yes, there's actually uh, a number of basically credits you will need for each stage of the wings, uh, and what you will do is you'll go to say a seminar. 
Uh, you can participate actually saying that, for instance, Sporties has some videos, and then at the end of the video you take a, a, uh, an exam. That will count towards credit, and you'll need a minimum of three different credits in the, in the knowledge portion, okay, for one level of the wings. Now, what you have to do is you have to accomplish that within a year period. And the reason they do that is they looked at the airlines and said, you know, why do they have such a, a greater safety rating? And it's because they do quite a bit of recurrent training, mm -hmm. and they are constantly training. I know Lennon and I, not only do we do proficiency checks, but we also do online tests, and we also have to go to ground schools, and we have to do multiple days of ground schools. So we have all that training, and they realize that th this is helping them safety-wise, so they want to bring that over to the WINGS program. So that's how it where, where I think, Rick, you had mentioned that, boy, this was falling off and I wasn't very aggressive with this. But right. you have to actually you have to get out there and actually do three of these, quote, unquote, events within a year or three credits for the knowledge portion. But you also have to do uh, three credits for the flight portion also. And what's interesting is that that flight portion is a subset of what's actually in the PTS or the practical test standards, hmm. and and it it actually can take less than an hour depending on your proficiency, and I've done them in under an hour, where hmm. you can go out there and get all the things done in the flight portion, and come back, and I've I've had them done in less than an hour where someone's been just just spot on with everything. I was like, wow, and you just sign them off there for that, and what they do is they go out and they ask for credit. And I'm not going to go into the whole details of how to get credit because right. that could that's another whole hour to two hour conversation, and that's something I'm trying to put together right now. It's videos on how to sign on, how to actually get your credit, and what to do. But basically, you need three credits for the flight portion, three credits for the ground portion to get those attending these seminars like you did and also by obtaining some of these courses online or some of these videos and getting that credit. And that's that's the one that I really like. Now, you know, full disclosure, I'm actually, you know, I'm a fast team member, which I'm a volunteer, you know, with the FA and they're they're in those meetings I actually do in the Tampa Bay area. Hmm. And I I think they're terrific. I've been doing them for over 10 years now uh, throughout the the US wherever I stay and I'm one of their speakers on their list and and I I think this is one of the best programs that they've put together. I will say one thing though and I think Rick alluded to this is and a lot of people ask me the same questions is like I don't understand how it works yeah. and I think that it is a little bit complex it has been and they've heard those complaints and they've made it a little bit easier and they keep getting better at it but you do need someone who's a, an instructor who's motivated to help you out and show you how to do that and and to obtain those wings and so, so now you don't ever have to do a flight review right you know, so the, so I, I get the idea of the seminars uh, accounting for the hour long or at least an hour of, of ground essentially the equivalent there and you're saying that there are ways to have basically someone sign off on different manu on maneuvers and, and other parts of the PTS in, in, in separate flights or in one flight or whatever that, that take the place of the check ride flight. So it is flight time yes. to a with a certain amount of goals accomplished efficiently. You can do it in less time than, than, than the flight time would normally be in a flight review. Exactly, exactly. Okay. You have, and, and what's interesting is that you don't even have to attend these seminars. Say you can't make it to one. They have seminars online. 
right. that are free. And, and that's terrific. But the flight time, I see what you're getting at there, Rick, is that you have to realize that there's three, three credits, three different sections that you have to review. They uh -huh. don't go based on hours. It's based on accomplishing tasks. For instance, say you have one section of stalls, okay, power right. on, power off, and you have to, uh, you know, a a power on stall on a turn, a power on stall, you know, level, you can do one of those and, mm -hmm. uh, and then you're done with that section. I see. Okay. Okay. That's an example. It's not exactly like that, but that's an right. example of how that works. And uh, it, it's, it's terrific. I'm, I've, been a, I've been beating this drum for a long time. I think it, it's a wonderful program, the WINGS. Uh, and you can go to fasafety.gov and check out the WINGS program. There's a video on there that shows, I think it's still on there, that shows you how to actually uh, uh, use the FA WINGS program. And that's, that's one of my favorite ways to, to actually avoid ever having to do a flight review again. And there's others, you know, for the gliders, I won't speak towards that but there's uh, other ways around it and of course you know if you're a student pilot that question comes up a lot you know you don't have to uh, do a flight review if you're a student pilot so right. uh, that's uh, that does come up quite often and a lot and here's another interesting thing too and I just want to I want to uh, tell some folks about this especially the airline guys is and the charter and these folks that fly professionally one of the things that I was involved with uh, about five six years ago was convincing the FAA to allow part 121 which is the airlines the proficiency check to count toward the wings program and I actually petitioned through the local FISDO and they actually put it on there so now Len and other folks that are listening that might be airline pilots or uh, pilots with the uh, uh, part uh, 135 that will count those proficiency checks will count towards your wings now why would you want to get involved with the wings well I'll tell you there's things that you will learn on their website in the ground portion. See, that counts towards the flight portion. But in the ground portion that you may not get in your training, for instance, say GPS or Garmin or, or something that you don't see often, flying VFR, you may not see that too often, but say you, had to, you fly IFR all the time, but now you have to ferry the plane, you fly VFR. What are the rules? That type of thing. I think it's, it's a wonderful avenue for folks that, that want to get back into GA but also want to look at other things that they normally uh, don't look at while they're operating in, in their environment. Very so cool. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I've, learned, I, I have learned so much. I mean, I've really learned quite a bit as far as GPS uh, and weather. And uh, when I got back into flying GA, I went out there and took everything I could take on VFR flying, all the ground schools, et cetera, just so I could get myself up to speed so I don't do something silly like bust prohibited airspace or something like that, which I think right. Victoria is going to mention. You, but, I know uh, another thing about the... Um Wings program, I only know this because I sell it, but um, aviation insurance, if you own an aircraft, and I think for renter's insurance as well, it can get you a discount on your insurance because that yeah. counts as training. So mm -hmm. if you tell your broker or whatever um, that you're what level you are in wings, that could get you, you know, a 5 to 10% discount. Oh, yeah. That's great. It's a great. good thing to save money while you're learning. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, just to add to that, that I'm glad you brought that up because there's one other thing I wanted to mention. For those flight instructors out there that, that aren't convinced that this is worth their while, the, if you sign off, I think it's five now, uh, people with the, in the WINGS program, you actually can use that for your flight instructor right now. That's right. That's right. And that is cool. That is really, really neat. So now you don't have to worry about doing those flight reviews or those clinics, et cetera. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but, yeah, that insurance, that, that's, uh, that's actually a, uh, another point that they bring up at the wing seminars. I'm glad you brought that up there, Victoria, yeah. as far as insurance. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. 
Excellent. So there, you don't have to do a flight review anymore, Rick. Or a BFR. Oh, but I had so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I hear you. And I need to get organized on the Wings program because I do like going to those things. And there's, I, I, I'm going to pick your brain offline about it to make sure I fully get it. Sure. But that was good. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. We can make a wings flow chart so you fully understand yes. it. Yes. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put together a PowerPoint presentation on how to use the wings program. And right. uh, actually, I'll run it by you maybe, and you can tell me how you like it, and then I'll yeah, put it cool. online. Cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Rock on. Cool. Terrific. So, Victoria, you had some things that you wanted to share about special-use airspace. Well, yeah, I was just thinking we went down um, – Wow, two weekends ago now to Ocracoke in North Carolina, and um, I had never been there before, and so I just, you know, went out of my flight planner and did Frederick direct to uh, Ocracoke, which was W95, I believe, and I said, wow, look at all those colorful boxes we're going to go through, and uh, I thought it was just kind of interesting, um, you know, how to plan around all this different uh, special-use airspace. You really have to, on a long trip like that, look at what the rules are for each one. Um, first of all, we went through the SFRA. I'm not going to even get into that. That could be an hour. Um, <laughs> and I don't like it. Eas so, <laughs> easily an hour, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the first one we went through was um, some restricted airspace and that can usually contain you know hazardous stuff like aerial gunnery missiles things can really hurt your aircraft and um, those you can go through as long as they're not hot or active and there's only certain times and usually if you're on flight following they can tell you and so pretty much your options for restricted airspace are go through if it's cold you can go around sometimes you can go over and under unfortunately on our trip to North Carolina if we wanted to dodge them, still going direct and going over and under, we would have had to gone 500 feet above ground level and then somehow quickly get to 25,000 feet above ground level. And I don't think that was going to happen. So no, no. we kind of had to go around those. But luckily, um, they were not active, so we went right through. Um, your other type of airspace that you could run into is uh, a military operations area. And those you can pretty much go through, um, but you, you really got to be careful. There's a lot of activity going on in there. And um, I just prefer to talk to someone if I am going through that. And those are also only active at certain times. And then you have your prohibited airspace, one of those don't ever go through these type things. And, um, you know, it would be nice to fly with an F-16, but... I don't think you want to do it for that reason. <laughs> oh, cool. Look, there's an F-16 out my window. Uh -oh. Yeah, that's to fly with me. <laughs> so pretty much avoid those. And then there's your TFRs, your temporary flight instructions. You know, always check your, your NOTAMs for those. Sometimes they have inner rings that you can't go into. Outer rings you can if you're on IFR flight plan. But um, it just really got me thinking about what has to go along in your head when you're traveling around and also for flight planning to go through all these airspaces, I decided it was best to treat each one individually. You know, you can't go direct through all of them. 
if I avoided this one prohibited area, would it be better for me to go over the coast where, you know, I could get stuck way out over the water away from gliding distance from the shore? Or should I take the longer way around over land, which could use up more of my gas? So um, I just suggest when you're taking a long trip, especially when Along that east coast, there's a lot of restricted airspace between Frederick and North Carolina that um, a little bit more pre-flight planning than just hitting direct on the GPS. And uh, I looked it up. CFR Part 73 kind of covers all those Mm -hmm. rules. So in case I said something wrong, just read that. That's my disclaimer. (laughs) Good point. That's one reason I like having moving, you know, like a a glass display or a moving map in the flight uh, in the cockpit of the GA planes. Because a lot of times they'll just they'll depict some of that uh, special use airspace out there for you to to see what's you know what you're going to penetrate. And the Garmin, uh, I think one version of the Garmin actually will warn you when you're entering or approaching certain kinds of airspace as well. Yeah. So, so Victoria, wow, did cool. you? Ha- yeah, that was neat. I, I, are you? Did you have to take a course or something for that special flight restricted area? I know you don't want to go into it too yes. much details, but you do. Okay. Right. Yeah, legally you have to go on. Um, I think it's on the FAA safety yeah, website. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You have to take yeah. the course on um, the, the DC airspace, and the controllers will ask you when you, you know, call for your um, weather briefing. Even mm-hmm. just a weather briefing, are you familiar with this area? And they will not let you off the phone until you say, yes, I understand the rules. And within a certain radius, and it's a big chunk of D.C., even if you're not even going to be going through the SFRA, you need to, you need to know and you need to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And I think it is very important because we had uh, P-40 um, around Camp David was expanded the past two weekends, and two people did bust it. Oh, wow. And both were with F-15s taken back to Hagerstown, I believe. Mm-hmm. So both small airplanes just kind of went into it. So you really got to be aware around here. And, oh, another point, um, which I forgot, and I never knew this was a rule, but we were talking to, um, we had flight following on our way down, and we came across some restricted airspace that was hot. And she wanted to make sure we knew what we were doing. And she said several times, you are on your own navigation. So I knew she meant business Um, because she said it about three times to us because she suggested some airway that took us out over the water that we didn't feel comfortable with. And we decided to go over it on um, the right side of it, it was the west side, and uh, stay over it at 7,000 feet on the smaller portion of the active area. And apparently, uh, you have to keep 1,000 feet above restricted airspace, which I thought... You just had to stay above it. I didn't know there was an actual buffer there. So um, that's a new rule I learned hmm, while talking to ATC. Oh. Yeah. So now, Victoria, it sounds like you fly in a lot of areas that are restricted there. Do you, do you, does that hamper your flying much? <laughs> you, I, yeah, I was so. terrified when I moved here because I'm from Detroit. So I just needed to avoid tr- Detroit airspace and avoid Flint. That's what I had to be most careful of. <laughs> Mostly Detroit. I avoid those areas on the ground that way as well, but that's another story. (laughs) But when I got to D.C., I did not want to fly solo because I was just paranoid, you know. And then um, I fly the company plane, and I'm not familiar with that GPS. And, you know, what if that ring disappears? And um, I flew through the SFRA, and I handled all the radios and stuff. I usually make my boyfriend handle everything when we go through there just because I'm afraid if I look at the airspace the wrong way, it'll, like, send <laughs> something out at me. 
but it, it wasn't that bad. You know, there's special corridors we always fly. And once you, as long as you're comfortable talking to ATC, no, you don't go into it until you have permission. As long as you had that flight plan followed, you know, filed, you're pretty much okay. It's not too scary. You just mm-hmm. have to get used to it. But you do have to watch out. Pay attention to where you're going. Yeah. Yeah, there's it sounds nerve wracking. That's for sure. It, it really does, and that's it scares me just listening to it. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't think I want to fly. But then I'm looking at. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I actually loaded loaded up the sectional to see where you'd gone, and that looks like a cool little airport out there. Oh yeah, um, the wind is tricky. You get some crazy oh, wind shear on landing. So I bet because you got one. There's only one runway in one direction, mm-hmm. and it's inside yep. of a. There's a MOA there, right? But that. But yep. that's just a MOA. Yeah, and uh, there's restricted right to the south, kind of southwest that's, of it. West that's of it. the, oh, the one north of it. We had to avoid some just to the north of it. We we're like 20 minutes from there, and we're like, great. Right. <laughs> right. Detour. <It's> fascinating. <laughs> yeah, so it keeps you on your toes. Yeah, you know. it's good. Good stuff. Maybe an extra scenic flight. Who knows? <laughs> but um, around here, my $100 hamburgers are determined about whether I feel like going through the SFRA or not. I don't blame you. There's enough airspace to worry about and down there. Exactly. Uh, so. Good times. Oh. Good times. Excellent. Our picks of the week. Well, we're uh, it's about that time for picks of the week, guys. Um, the picks Yay. of the week. Yeah, Rick's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm trying to. I, I don't know if I'm any more excited than you guys are, but yay! Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, for listeners out there, picks of the week uh, is when uh, each of the co-hosts suggests and shares with us a certain aviation product, service, website, anything that we've found. Uh, useful or helpful or that we'd like to recommend that you guys check out um, that's, you know, like I said, aviation-related. So let's go ahead and go uh, with Carl this, uh, this afternoon. Okay. They, you know, this is a follow-on from uh, last uh, episode where I talked about AirNav, and we discussed the app. So I decided to purchase the app, which is it's $3.99 or $4.99. Oh, boy. can't remember. But it's uh, $3.99 or $4.99. I downloaded it, and it's an app for the iPhone. And I found that, and I would recommend it, especially for those that are uh, looking at fuel prices and what's in the general area. And I will say for the first uh, version of this, I would say this is a a great app or a great start is a better way to say it. It's a great start. And uh, the only thing that I would say about this AirNav app is I can press in my local area, search for fuel. But I also want to search for airports near me. Now, this sounds kind of strange, but if you think about it, a lot of folks, say, in their travels or like I travel with the airlines and I land somewhere and I want to find an FBO where I can actually rent an airplane, I want to be able to look and press a button that says, find the nearest airport, find me the nearest FBO. And it doesn't actually have that function right now. What I have to do is I have to actually click on, on fuel find nearest and then it goes to that Mm -hmm. so right now it doesn't you actually have to put in so that's i back into it that way where i find the local fuel and then i find the airport where that fuel is but i'd rather just have just the airport pop up and all that information and what it has is all the information or i should say all the important information that you would get on AirNav on the website and then it will actually click you over to the uh, their website for the fbo or for the local airport Cool. So I would recommend it, it. I would say it's a good start. 
It's a pretty easy layout to understand. Oh. Is it just like a couple of big buttons or? Oh yes, and and that's oh that's one more thing. I like the graphics. Really good, easy to read. My dad can even read it. Oh, should I say that? What type of platform <laughs> is it for? It's is actually it they have it for the iPhone or it's the iPhone. It will also work on the iPad and I and you get it on the iTunes library there. And they have a purchase item. You can purchase Airboss. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's where yep. uh, you actually get a discount on gasoline at your not at your local FBO, but all the other FBOs you go to. If you purchase Airboss. You get the app for free. So oh, yeah. cool! Deal. Yeah, free. Yeah, free for only thirty nine ninety nine. You can get the app for free if you purchase <laughs> Airbus. <laughs> but I like I like it a lot. I think it's a, a wonderful start, and I do like the graphics. Like you said, that it it's it's big buttons. I can push it, and when I'm sitting in an airplane, I can. That's important to me because I, I I really don't like the little buttons because I always mess up and I hit the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I fat finger the wrong thing. So that's my pick of the week is AirNav uh, iTunes app. Check it out. and just Or go to the AirNav.com uh, website, and it's the last tab to the right. Sweet. Uh, Victoria, how about you? All right. My pick of the week is um, actually the Women in Aviation International Scholarships because I stalk their website every year for them to announce the new ones. And uh, they were just released earlier um, they said they'd be released in July and went on the website the other day, and there they were. Um, you have to November to apply for them. If I read correctly, I think last year they gave over $70,000 away. Wow. And um, just go on to wai.org. You click on the scholarships button, and then 2012 scholarships. And there's a lot of helpful links on there, um, how to win a scholarship article. Um, make sure you read the application. The application's on there. Um follow all the guidelines, but um, they have so many things available for a variety of things and a variety of um, monetary amounts. Um, you can do advanced trading, seaplane ratings, type ratings. There's initial for, you know, those who want to become private pilots or sport pilots. And there's also stuff out there for like ANPs or people who are in college for aviation management. So it's not just flying scholarships. Anything aviation related is on there. All right. Uh, and then who sponsors these? Is the, these are different sponsors that. Yeah, that there's different sponsors. Like Delta will throw something in. Um, different companies, you know, sponsor these. And a couple of them are um, women in aviation members, people who have won scholarships in the past, you know, get together, you know, a couple hundred bucks and throw it in there. So there's a huge wide variety. I mean, there's got to be at least 25, 30 listed on there right now to choose from. Wow. Um, You do have to be a member, though, but membership is only $39 for the year. So it's worth it to Mm -hmm. be able to have all that access to all those scholarships. Mm -hmm. And you get a magazine. So that's always nice. That's good, too. (laughs) (laughs) How fun. Excellent. Uh, What do you got for us tonight, Rick? Well, um, I just I want to to talk about something that um, I picked up last year at Oshkosh and have been using. And it just it's become so much part of what I, you know, how I move around with the plane that I, I forget about it. And I went, oh, that's a pretty cool thing. And I think this episode will probably, if I'm t- if the timing's right in my head, will be coming out just after some of us are at Oshkosh. Yes, that's correct. And um, mm-hmm. so I was thinking about Oshkosh and all the cool, Oshkosh and all the cool stuff you can get there. And this is basically the Brightline flight bags. I don't know if you guys use them or, or uh, know about them. But I before I had the bright line, and I, you know, as I said, I picked mine up uh, at Oshkosh. Um, 
before I had the, this particular bag, I, I had a big old run of the mill, whatever you get it, you know, your local FBO or whatever. And, um, you know, it was a little more like a suitcase kind of thing. It was, it was, it was not particularly thought out in any, in, in any uh, clever way. And, and the Brightline bag is, um, it, it, besides just multiple pockets, they're pockets that are sized right for the kind of stuff we have. It's, it's, it's height is chart folded chart height. Mm-hmm. So charts slip in it very nicely. Um, it, it has basically one of the coolest things is that it is that it has two halves. So you, uh, I know some people who are instrument rated who use one half as their instrument stuff that they need when they're going to do that. And if they're just going to go out and, and bop around VFR and they're not going to do any of that, they can unzip that half and leave that at home. Um, nice, nice pocket for I, I have a, a couple of headsets that fit in there. Um, and it, the other thing that's nice about it, it's a small, subtle thing, but it has a hand, a hand hold and a shoulder holder, holder strap. And those can interchange depending on which you want to use more. And one is centered for center of gravity of the thing, and the other's off to one side so that if you do slice the thing in half, the second one that's off to the, off, off the center uh, ends up being balanced for that one half, if, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. you can switch off shoulder or hand grip and, uh, and also split the thing in half or not uh it's just a great tight little bag and it's not very big so it really feels like it has everything you need and room for everything you need but it isn't wasteful with space so uh you know a big thumbs up on that i have not regretted that purchase at all so bright line flight bags yeah i'm taking a look at it right now it is uh like you said it's got a lot of perfectly sized pockets it looks when neat. you're there when you're there run, wandering around if you mm-hmm. can get into you know go look at one in person i think you'll i think you'll be impressed okay and how do you, and what's that website one more time? It's brightline.com, I think. Uh, yeah, brightline. Right. Brightlinebags.com. Bags.com. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, we'll we'll put the link on the, in the data in the, in the show data, um, and uh, and thanks to, to my flying buddy John Wellington for for uh, convincing me to buy it. <laughs> Actually, yay, yay, more, specific, more specifically, he he convinced he initially wanted me to just take his old one for a reduced price and he would buy a new one. Ah. I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd, some, some, yeah, some of that deal didn't seem right to me, so I, I didn't... <laughs> the friendly didn't trade get, program. Yeah, <laughs> that's, my, that's my pick of the week. Cool. Oh, great. Well, I wanted to share uh, my pick of the week is something I actually did a review on thepilotreport.com for a product called iFlightPlanner.com and it's a really neat service for doing flight planning and they have uh, they have two versions they have a free version and a um, a premium version and the free version does just about everything that you needed to do with the premium version allows you um, an integrated weight and balance calculator which i must admit is pretty neat and uh, what it is is it's it's an it's a a new flight planning service and the guys over at iflightplanner.com uh, put together a really nice package and you can sign up for a free account. It does. Uh, it's, it's your aviation weather center. It stores aircraft pilot profiles um, or aircraft profiles and pilot profiles. It'll do flight planning, like uh, planning and a, and a filing wizard. Um, their flight planning software that they use in the background will overlay your flight plan over sectionals and with a weather overlay. And there's rubber banding, so you can just drag your flight plan around on the uh, on the map so for instance if you're looking at a specific uh, route and there's weather somewhere you can just 
click on the uh, the line between A to B, drag it to uh, any random space uh, outside of you know this weather phenomenon, and it will bring up options for you to to select that waypoint via latitude, longitude, nearest waypoint, VOR, airport, etc. So it's a very very handy tool like that. Also, you can get uh, detailed and basic nav uh, navigation logs. Uh, it will do flight planning for you, and also you know if you want to do flight planning, if I remember correctly, don't quote me on this specific uh, feature, but if I remember correctly, you can set up your flight plan. You know, if you're going to do something a week from now and you've got it all set up, submit it. What their system will do is it will email you back a confirmation once it's been received by the FAA so that you know that your flight plan has been received and has been filed. Uh, so it's got some neat functions, the airport facility directory, like I said, a weight and balance calculator, which is a function of the premium membership. Um, and and the, the, it's, it's relatively cheap. It's only $9.95 a month. If you buy three months or a year, there's obviously some, some savings there. And they have a, a mobile version, which works real nice. Uh, I've used it on the iPad and the iPhone, personally, and it works real nice. And my favorite function of it all is uh, basically you put you know, your, your information in there. Where do you want to depart? Where do you want to arrive? How do you want to get there, whether it's low, Victor Airways, VOR, direct, what day you're going to depart, what time of departure. And like I said, there's a visual map that it will overlay your flight plan with weather on uh, you know, different kinds of mapping uh, displays and uh, prints off a, a nav log and what's really cool is after you've paged through the end of this there's an opportunity to basically print out an entire flight briefing and it will print out a a uh, what I call like a, fl a flight briefing that's got all the information about your departure airport and weather your arrival airport and weather any alternate airports and weather um, I think it had frequencies it prints out your nav log and some other stuff in there that you, you know, some customizable options. So it's really cool for, you know, somebody like myself that works for an air carrier and we get dispatch releases and weather packets and stuff. It was very similar to something that I'm used to seeing. And I thought that it was a nice, handy tool to have at the end of the day, print out this weather or print out this briefing packet take it with you in the airplane. So iFlightPlanner.com, uh, check it out. Like I said, there is a free version and a paid version. And the only real difference is uh, the weight and balance calculator and an ability to save some flights in basically like an online logbook. Uh, so it's pretty neat. You guys should check it out. Uh, it, I was oh, looking good. at it while you were talking. It's beautiful. Look, yeah. I, mean, I love how it looks. I'm signing up. It's great. It's great software. The free Sorry, version <laughs> does, you know, a lot of handy tools. And you should definitely check it out, page through it, and let me know what you think. I have not seen anything yet because I'm still in the process of signing up. But look, <laughs> the sign-up pages are gorgeous. Gorgeous. <laughs> That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's powered by uh, basically Duots. So if you've got a Duots account, you just use that username. Um, and password, and that's what you know. That's what powers the flight planning software from the back end. Uh, so both of those things are free accounts. If you're interested in checking it out, the after landing checklist. Well, I guess we're finishing up here for the end of episode six. Uh, Carl, how could uh, folks get a, get in touch with you? Well, you can find me on uh, Twitter at expert aviator, or you can go to expertaviator.com. Great. Uh, what about you, Rick? Uh, on Twitter, R. Felty. On uh, YouTube, R. D. Felty. And uh, rickfelty.com. And there's a 
there's a more extensive blog post about my BFR that's there if you uh, want to check that out. Awesome. And Victoria? Um, I'm at ToriaFly on Twitter, and ToriaFlies.blogspot.com is my blog. Awesome. And uh, myself, Len here, I'm available at on Twitter. It's The Pilot Report and ThePilotReport.com. So for all of us here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, myself, Len Costa, Rick Felty, Carvalari, Victoria Nouvel, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to Episode 6 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. We welcome always any listener comments, questions, feedback. You can leave a comment on the blog, email us, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Send us a comment or, or, or a question on Twitter. Um, and we love to hear from you guys, so please send in, uh, you know, send your feedback into the website. And uh, it's episode six of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Once again, thanks uh, everybody for tuning in this evening, and we we all wish you clear skies and calm ones. Take care. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.